Well, let me tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. I look at this first reading and I say, hmm, <laughs> very interesting. But before I say, hmm, about the reading, let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit and right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God cast into hell Satan, all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Oh, and Lord, before we let you go, just have mercy on us as we as we think about what happened in Waukesha and in so many other places. That we, we beg you for peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, let's go to the big book on the coffee table. Oh. This is the vision of Daniel, and I do not begin to pretend to understand it. It is fascinating how people um, are so ready to say, well, this means this and that means that. I I have known prophets, really. Uh, you know, I remember I'm kind of Pentecostal, and uh, Pentecostals uh, believe in the prophetic gifts, and that's why one of the reasons that... Uh, uh, Pentecostalism goes so well with uh, with Catholicism is that Catholicism has always believed in the 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 ex- so-called extraordinary charisms. They're not that extraordinary for us. Healing and prophecy and visions, all these all these manifestations of the Holy Spirit, more properly called. I remember when I got baptized in the Holy Ghost and went home from college and told my mother and father that I believe that God healed the sick and that he spoke in our times and that I said, well, congratulations, we've always taught you that. And I thought, oh, they're right. So that's why I didn't, so many people wanted me to leave the Catholic Church, both Catholics and non-Catholics, and and I realized that that those manifestations of the Holy Spirit have always been a vibrant part of the life of the Church. And this is something I think that, that a lot of People don't understand classical Protestantism. Classical Protestantism, uh, as the reformers uh, um, uh, designed it in 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 the Reformation 500 plus years ago. Well, yeah, 500 plus years ago, they they um, they believed that miracles, so called, were not. Um, uh, 
appropriate for the present age. They believe they were kind of the so-called miracles of Catholicism were were just money-making tricks, and well, sometimes they are. I've known some really good faith healers who are better taking up a collection than they are than healing the sick. But again, I digress. The um, <clears throat> they quoted that verse in First Corinthians thirteen that says, "When the perfect comes, the imperfect shall pass away." The Bible's perfect. We no longer need prophetic utterance. They believe that that the age of miracles ended when the last word of Scripture was put pen to paper, uh, and um, um, we don't believe that as Catholics. We believe that there's no new revelation, but God occasionally raises up a person to re-emphasize something he has already said uh, and uh, um, to direct us more closely to his will. So we've always believed in, in the visionary uh, tradition. And and as I said, I, I have known some people with genuine prophetic gifts. And uh, I'm, I've told the story about a woman I know who's... Uh, who has a genuine gift, and she'll pray for you, and she'll say, Father Rich, I've been praying for you. Think, oh, dear Lord, what have I done now? What are, you, what are you going to tell me I'm doing wrong, Lord? And she has, in my experience, always been on the money, but she never quite understands her own prophetic gift. This is a fascinating thing about prophets. They don't understand their prophesying. Uh, that that it comes as a, much of a surprise to them as to you now. All, when people get all these locutions in which they speak for the Lord, I think those are to be treated as pious meditations. Uh, they're not 100%, um, uh, but after the church has examined them, the, the, the competent authority will say there's nothing in this that's harmful to Catholic faith. But they're not saying that, well, no, that, that prophecy is from God. It's like the Bible. No, the church never says that. What they'll say, an imprimatur simply means that the person reading the book, the bishop reading the book or his representative, has found nothing that they think uh, is, is um, uh, contrary to Catholic faith. They're not saying this is Catholic doctrine. And the same is true of of prophetic utterance um, that now in my experience a real prophecy is usually very short very much to the point and usually not too pleasant um, thus says the Lord you're making a mess of it that it's that simple you know the locutions as I say that's a different thing I don't think of that as as uh, prophecy biblically um, uh, we don't see that the uh, example pious meditations given by the Lord they may be but my experience of prophecy is kind of direct so what have we got here I would say that to say I understand the historical situation to the, the, the to which this applies I don't uh, well, I think oh, I, I spun off before I explained well that woman I said who who had a wonderful prophecy called me and said Father Rich, are they going to make you a bishop? And I said, I don't think so. I really don't think so. He said, well, I saw them giving you a teaching chair, a red teaching chair, and darned if the next day I didn't wasn't asked to do a show on this radio station. So this this woman, you know, if I were to call her and say, give me a prophecy, I would, if I were to say, give me a prophecy, that would be presumptuous. Doesn't work that way. You know, she was praying for me, and the Lord told her to warn me about this uh, um, uh, so I think that that um, that's a very important distinction you can't manufacture a prophecy uh, so let's look at this now the book of Daniel scholars think was written long after Daniel and there was a Daniel uh, but 
they would say these words were put into his mouth. I don't know. I wasn't there. All I know is that these words are inspired by the Holy Spirit and are part of the canon of Scripture. So these words, they may or may not be the exact words of a fellow called Daniel living 500 years before Christ, but they are very clearly the words of the Holy Spirit. So uh, we go through this comparison about uh, a great statue and... uh, um, um, the stone which was hewn from a mountain without a hand being put to it struck its iron and tile feet, bringing them in pieces. Um, the stone struck the statue, it became a great mountain and filled the earth. And then he gives the interpretation. Now, the interesting thing about this, I find this a very interesting part of the story, that that uh, the king says, I've had a dream, bring all my wise men and soothsayers to me, and uh, uh, I want... they say, well, what was the dream? says, if you were prophets or soothsayers or psychics or whatever you're supposed to be, you'd know what the dream was. And I think he didn't do away with them in the in the story. And then they brought him Daniel and said, I'll tell you what your dream was. And he told him the dream. That's the first part. And the interpretation, you, King, are the king of kings. Uh, uh, the, the, to the, you, to you, the God of heaven has given dominion. Another kingdom will take your place, inferior to yours. And then a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over the whole earth. There shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron. Interestingly, it says the feet and toes you saw, partly of potter's stone and partly of iron, mean that it shall be a divided kingdom. You saw the iron mixed with clay. Uh, the kingdom will be partly strong and partly fragile. The iron mixed with clay tile. It means that they shall seal their alliances by intermarriage. That's a very clear historical reference. Whether this was prophetic, said before the event, or retrospective, after the event. This, this may not be part of, of the prophetic utterance. Uh, I'll explain that in a minute. That clearly refers to Alexander the Great, 300 BC. He forcibly married his soldiers to Persian women to unite the two kingdoms to create a new kind of people. He was an internationalist. And so um, they shall not stay united any more than iron mixes with clay. What happened was after the death of Alexander, about three, I want to say 320 BC, or, or uh, 280, is it 280 BC? I don't know. He, he, 300 is a good reference point. 300 BC. After the death of Alexander, his uh, generals took over the kingdom. Uh, he, he took over his empire. Ptolemy took over Egypt. As, uh, Seleucus, uh, General Seleucus took over uh, Syria and the eastern parts. And I forget who took over uh, the Greek part. But the empire didn't stay together at all. Um uh, a little-known historical side note is that there were actually Greek kingdoms in Central Asia that had uh, lifespans of hundreds of years that very much influenced art. But that's a different, different talk for a different kind of show. But it didn't stay together. But those kings continued in power, and that system continued in power until the Judean kingdom was lifted up, until the times of the Maccabees. We, we see that, that uh, uh, in the book of Maccabees that we were studying last week, and week I think the week before, that, that um, uh, the, the, Greek, the Syrian Greek kings, Antiochus Epiphanes, and all these people considering themselves divine, tried to destroy the religion of Israel. And so, oh, so you don't think this is prophetic? 
I most certainly do think it's prophetic um, that that uh, uh, this great kingdom shall never be destroyed or delivered up to another people. You know that that we look at Jesus as as abruptly coming in you know the year one. Well. Scholars want to think four years before G. Christ was born, four years before Christ. Go figure. Uh, but that that royalness, that that religion that we are of which we Christians believe we are the fulfillment of and participants in the the worship of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that has filled the whole world. So whether this prophecy was written by Daniel or written afterwards, and the person who wrote it thought he was cleverly integrating history. Nonetheless, this being written by the Holy Spirit, it prophesied a kingdom that will not end. And so far, so good. I mean, the, the, the God of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob is worshipped throughout the world. And um, uh, um, all the attempts of the great in the world to destroy it have failed. I remember being in Rome, and I was in was it the Arch of Constantine, the Arch of Titus, one of those arches. No, it must it was the Arch of Titus. It had to have been because it, it had uh, carved into it the the triumphal procession, bringing the the spoils of the temple in Jerusalem to Rome, the candle the candelabra, and the the different things that were brought to Rome, and uh, um, scrawled under it in. In very uh, just just kind of scratched into the stone was uh, uh, yes and Israel lives. In other words, the Romans thought they had done away with the Jewish state, and Nero uh, uh, <coughs> had Claudius expelled the Jews from Rome. Uh, Titus destroyed his uh, the temple. Hadrian. Uh, thoroughly destroyed the the uh the Jewish state and then throughout the middle ages they wandered the 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 islamic world thought they had taken over the Jewish state and supplanted it and then we get to the middle ages in which the the Rhine valley people tried to destroy Judaism and then you get to uh, <coughs> people like Stalin and Hitler and nobody's been able to do it the same with Christianity. Uh, I was chanting with the voice in my head before the show that that Napoleon, uh, the, who was a great French revolutionary, said to one of the popes he had kidnapped, it is my intention to destroy Christianity and to destroy the Catholic Church. And the pope looked at him and said, I doubt that you'll be any more successful than we the clergy have been. In other words, the, 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 the faith... God's royal nature, this 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 revelation of who God is. So many people have tried to destroy it, and none have succeeded thus far. And you know what? If I had to bet on the secular world in which we live, <laughs> or the church, I would certainly bet on the church. I mean, I, another thing I was chatting about, um, I had a wonderful professor, the great Stanley Rudkey, uh, just a sweetheart of a guy, and humble and brilliant. And um, I remember at lunch one day in the faculty room, he shook his head and just said, oh, the collapse of Western civilization is going to be very inconvenient. And we thought that was a pretty funny statement. Well, it is pretty inconvenient. I mean, 
the, the roving mobs that are are invading stores, how do you do business? How do you how do you buy and sell? Which is a big part of civilization, and not an incidental part. Um, the, the the fact that we are afraid to go near each other because of a a, a disease. Um, this is, I think, one of the great turning points in human history, and uh, uh, I really, really kind of, I, I, I don't know how it's going to turn out. Nobody does, you know, but, but human civilization is a very, very fragile thing. Uh, the word of the Lord, what does the scripture say? The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And so far, <laughs> that that prophecy, which is at the heart uh, of, of this vision of Daniel, well, so far, so good. All right, let us look at the uh, 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 gospel very briefly. Um, um, it, it's fascinating. Um at the end of the gospel, we'd awesome sights and mighty signs will come from the sky. They were well reported by by people who were not Jewish, not Israel. Uh, the 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 phenomena that that happened in the uh, uh, or the destruction of Jerusalem in in, in seventy A.D. Well recorded. I think Tacitus talks about them. Josephus, the Jewish historian, talks about them. To me, the one that is the most amazing is that the doors of the temple flew open. It took 40 men, I think it was for either 20 or 40 men, to open these gates. They were solid metal, and they were huge. And uh, these, I think they were called the Nicanor gates. They were, they were these ornamental gates that were huge. Well, the doors of the temple flew open, and there was a sound of a great rushing multitude and which shouted, let us go away. And at that point, it seems that the the armies of God deserted the temple. Um, there was things seen in the sky. But look what Jesus says. <clears throat> when you hear wars and insurrections, do not be terrified. For such things must happen first, but it will not immediately be the end. You know, that, that all these things are going to happen, but it's not the end. He says elsewhere, when everyone is saying, peace, peace. <laughs> then it will end. We're not saying peace, peace now. So uh, I cannot count the number of times that people said, well, the end is coming. When someone tells me the end of the world is near, I say, do you know when? Because is it like this month? I wouldn't have to pay my credit cards. And they get very upset with me. For 70 years, I have been listening to people say, I remember when I was a kid, uh, there was somebody who prophesied that because of an alignment of the planets, everything would go out of whack. The world was going to end. I was terrified. Well, the world didn't end. Um, uh, oh, the great, uh, uh, I think, wasn't the world supposed to end in 1967, according to some uh, book, late, late, late Great Planet Earth or something? It didn't. Uh, 2012, it was going to end. Then don't forget the year 2000. and It's still here. And we still have the obligation to pay our bills and to raise our children and live our lives. And that, Jesus says, will be going on until the day it happens. So do your job, live well, honor God. And if you see the Lord coming in glory, <laughs> I got a joke. I'll end with a joke. You see the Lord coming in glory, lift up your head because your deliverance is at hand, Jesus says. So in the Vatican, there's this old Monsignor who's been very good, very faithful all of his life. And uh, they've just given him a little job because he's just 
beyond you know he's 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 up there in years and uh his little job is to open the shutters in the in the papal palace uh, where the offices i think still are and he's opening the shutters and he opens the easternmost shutter and instead of the sun rising there the lord is appearing in glory and he runs down the hall saying the lord is a coma back the lord is a coma back and he runs into pope francis office he says santita the lord is coming back what do we do and pope francis looks up and says Everybody look busy. I think it's funny. All right, let's go to a break, and uh, we'll go to a break, and we'll come back. And that's uh, good advice. Everybody look busy. The Lord is returning at some point. <laughs> so, oh dear, go to a break. Eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine. We'll come back with mass hysteria. <laughs> the Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. Blessed are those who love you. Happy those who follow you. Blessed are those who seek you. I feel terrible dissing all this pretty music. I'm really not. It's beautiful music. My point is, is simply you don't uh, you don't sing songs at mass. You sing songs at a prayer meeting, and mass ain't a prayer meeting. Uh, to me, that's one of the big problems. Let's go to mass hysteria. Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. You know, it just I, again I blame myself. Please. Uh, uh, Sacrosanum Concilium mentions that the Eucharist, though the source and summit of of our faith, does not exhaust the resources of the Catholic Church. And what they're saying is we got things like prayer meetings and benediction and parish retreats and parish missions. I was talking to Father Branken, my classmate. We were remembering good old parish missions. You went to the parish mission. Church was packed. Uh, that, that, that was just something. The annual mission, you had to be there. And it was just part of your religious life. Uh, and it was an hour-long talk. They would usually, what you did, you had the men, then you had the women, and then you had the older kids. That was the parish mission. If you really wanted to, if the pastor was truly fanatic, you had a fourth week for the grade school kids. But usually it was just the older, you know, teenagers and up. And uh, uh, they, were, they were real tough sermons. And you had that. You had rosary devotions. You had all these different things. Uh, and and then of course in this the prayer group was introduced, and the best definition I ever heard of a prayer meeting it is a gathering of the people God for, of God for the free exercise of the gifts of God. In other words, it's unstructured, and I blame myself being one of the founding fathers of the charismatic renewal uh, um, that that um, people soon wanted spontaneous masses and tightly scheduled prayer meetings because a good prayer meeting if you're doing a prayer meeting right you don't know when it's going to end but you got to get home by now well leave the prayer meeting you know that that they develop this structure real real quickly because well that's that's what we do at mass there's a limited time but then prayer meeting bled over into mass that well we want to sing songs and be spontaneous at mass no you don't mass is the covenant and covenants are are have a contractual element and they are structured uh, this is a legal proceeding in a sense that he gives us his body and blood and we give him ours 
You know, when I, I've said this at least a thousand times, when I go to Holy Communion, when I go to receive the Holy Eucharist, what I'm saying is just as he has laid his flesh and blood on that altar for me, I will lay my flesh and blood on that altar with him for the salvation of the world and for the conversion of sinners and for the good and the renewal of the church. I'm all, That's what I'm doing at Mass. I'm not getting anything. I'm giving myself. And it is a, a, it is a covenant ceremony, and it's structured. And this idea of, well, we need to feel, if we don't feel it, it's not real. Oh, you tell that, you sign a contract with a, with a contractor. And admittedly, the, the mass is not a contract, it's a covenant. A, a covenant is a kind of contract that ends only with the death of one of those contracting. Uh, the a simple contract is, uh, until there's an exchange of goods and money, we're in a relationship. When the when the money is changes hands and the goods change hands, the relationship is over. Mass is the covenant. I give you myself that you might give me yourself. So, uh, <clears throat> still, it has a contractual element. If you if you sign a contract with a contract and say, you know, I just don't really feel like it anymore, he's going to sue you, and well, he should. Uh, so this idea of the spontaneous mass that I go to simply because I really want to, <sighs> nonsense. And we have allowed that informality and that, uh, narcissism to creep into our, our liturgical devotion. You know, there's lots of places in the church and in, in the liturgies of the church in which I can express my utter fascination with myself and how I feel. Mass is not one of them. So, uh, again, you know, that this kind of, uh, um, you know, maudlin sentimentality by which America especially is marked and which we have shared with the rest of the world. I just, that's what I'm talking about. It's not appropriate for Mass. I, and, you know, again, in my own defense, I love a good religious emotion. But the Mass is beyond my emotions. So, eh, that said, let's go to, uh, where are we going to go now? We're going to go to letters, aren't we? Okay, boy, I got a lot of letters here. Um, um, I was going to talk about the coffee table mess. Ah, I'll talk about that tomorrow. <laughs> about I want to continue with this thing of the informality of mass, but that'll be tomorrow. Let's go to a, uh, a letter. Okay, I got a letter a while ago from someone who's kind of concerned. Uh, uh, I was researching the Sacred Heart devotion. I read about St. Margaret Mary Alacoque. I was concerned when I read about her self-mutilation. She carved the name of Jesus into her chest and said that she would try to reopen the wounds if, when they healed. I, uh, uh, I've worked, uh, I, you know, I've tried to look that up and I found no references to it. However, the idea of, of, uh, of physical penance was very popular before our times. And, you know, <laughs> we never do that anymore. You know, whip ourselves for Jesus. They used to do that all the time. No, instead we go to the health club and, and they're the instruments of torture. <laughs> Usually the machines, which, uh, which we work out on. And, uh, uh, the, uh, so we, and we have some, some, uh, we don't have, preachers yelling at us. Now we have um, health coaches yelling at us. So uh, we're still torturing ourselves, but we're doing it for no good reason. Uh, physical punishment. Uh, we just do it at the health club thinking that we'll live forever. Well, Margaret Mary, probably like people of her age, did practice uh, physical penances, but I, I was unable to find anything about uh, um, uh, 
her any self mutilation. I, I did try to look at it. Uh, however, this is a, a bit of a shocking religion. It it is about the torture of one Jewish man two thousand years ago. When you think about it, I mean, Jesus entered into the the sufferings of humanity, and who can who can look at the news these days? And not think there's something terribly wrong with our our species, our 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 I don't know what else you call us human beings. There's something terribly wrong with us. We we think nothing of causing terrible torture to other human beings, and you know, abortion. You don't think that child in the womb doesn't feel anything? Well, there's a lot of evidence otherwise that that. I remember the movie The Silent Scream in which uh, uh, you can actually see a, an unborn child recoiling from the, the instrument that is going to uh, to rip him to shreds. Um, we are, it is amazing to me that God loves us. And, and um, you know, I, I don't know where I'm going with this, but, uh, you know, to judge another era by our standards, I don't think you can do it. And the beautiful devotion of the to the Sacred Heart was the gift of St. Margaret Mary Alacoque. Another thing, you know, the saints aren't perfect. <laughs> what? No, saints are perfect. No, saints are perfectly repentant. That's a little different. Uh, that, that a canonized saint, um, well, a canonized saint said it, so it must be true. You know, I think some people point out Padre Pio talked about the three days of darkness. Eh, they ain't happened yet. Um, you know, the, 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 the sanctity, uh, of, of the saints isn't omniscience. Look at St. Peter. Jesus said to St. Peter, get behind me, Satan. But then St. Peter gave his life for Christ at the end. So this idea that, that the saints are perfect. No, the saints are perfectly repentant and that's different. So, uh, no dear. All right. Let's see here. Uh, somebody talked about, um, um, this was a couple weeks ago, I think. Uh, a drive-through, a drive-through uh, drive penance or drive-through holy communions, and this is Andrea from Los Angeles, and she makes the point: taking the sacrament as consuming fast food in a drive-by. Who will make sure that our Lord is consumed instead of desecrated? That's a real good point. You know that. If I stand outside the church and there's a line of cars, body of Christ, body of Christ, honk, honk, body of Christ, who's going to make sure that, that some practitioner of witchcraft doesn't drive up and grab the Blessed Sacrament? Uh, it's a practice that, that I can't really recommend. So there you go. Okay. Um, this is kind of an interesting letter that I got from uh, a Catholic mother in Chicago talking about... Um, you know, we're talking a lot about religious ed, and she's just saying <clears throat> that that young men need male role models in the Catholic faith, and and men who are sane, especially men who are parents, who are fathers. Uh, she mentions that it would be great to have them uh, volunteer for religious as religious ed teachers, and you know, I'm going to say some. She mentions, uh, uh, forgive her her lack of political correctness. So I'm going to say something completely. Uh, politically incorrect. I think there is a position or a, 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 a good argument for <clears throat> uh, 
girls' classes and boys' classes. I don't know if you understand adolescence, but when you get to seventh and eighth grade, um, the, the, the people who are 12, 13, 14, 15, young boys and young girls, their minds are not necessarily on the lesson. Um, boys and girls learn differently. And and I think that it's an important thing. I, I really kind of think we need to... Oh, I've thought this for years. We really need to think religious education because I don't think it's working real well. I, I, I just found when I was a pastor that, you know, you take kids, you put them in a boring classroom and have them spit back facts for five days. And then if they're Catholic, they have to do that one extra day a week. And they just learn to hate the faith. I've met so many kids who learned to hate. Now, this is not universal, but there's so many kids who've learned to hate the faith because uh, of cruel and unusual punishment in in religious education classes so um there needs to be some real rethinking but uh it's so much easier to do what we know than to do what will work um nah okay i'm just now i'm just complaining let's see here what what are we doing we're going to go to a break and we'll open i think the phones are open at 8889149149 888-914-9149 and we will be back, God willing. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. This land is your land. This land is my land. From California to the New York Island. Oh, good old Woody Guthrie. (laughs) Yes, it's, uh, oh, my hippie youth. (laughs) Good grief. All right, enough. I'm I'm falling into reminiscences about a long-distant youth where we thought everything was going to be swell. Yeah, that always got me. We are the, this is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. Age of Aquarius, my eye. (laughs) Okay, let's go to the word of the day. The word of the day, once again, is name. Uh, We read in the gospel that many will come in my name saying, I am he, the time has come. Do not follow them. Does it get any plainer? Well, what does in my name mean? The word name means authority. That Adam named the beasts, uh, and God brought all the animals to Adam, and Adam named them. That meant that man had authority over the animals. Um, that 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 to know someone's name, exorcists will invariably ask the name of a demon because it's a matter of authority. When someone comes up to me and looks at my Roman collar and says, "Hey, Rich, how you doing?" They're saying. I don't want you to have any authority over me. You know, that that uh, the title father, it's not a title, it's a relationship. And they don't want that relationship. Fine, they're not going to get it. But uh, um, the, the uh, uh, this idea of the name, it means authority. If I say, I come in the name of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, you're going to open up the door and say, come in, officer. And uh, I better darn well have a little badge and a warrant that says I can do this. Because if I don't, I'm going to get into real trouble. So when you see this in the name of, it means by the authority of. Many will come claiming my authority, saying, I am he and the time has come. Do not follow them. Are you hearing this? The next time somebody says that 
that um, the world is going to end on on December the umpteenth uh, this year. If you if you follow them, if you believe this, you're disobeying the Lord. Think about it. Do not follow. That's an imperative. That's a command. If someone tells you that I know when the end of the world is coming and the Lord has revealed it to me and this is the date, so go sell all your stuff and give me some of your money. Oh, I can't. The Lord has forbidden me to to pay any attention to you. I'm not to follow you. That the, the Bible says so. You know, the big book on the coffee table. Think about it. Next time someone comes along prophesying the imminent end of the world, do not follow them. Jesus said, don't do it. Luke, the 21st chapter. All right, let us go now to phone calls. The phone is ringing. Whom, Paula from Highland Park, are you with us? I sure am, Father. Good. What can I do for you? Hey, Father, first of all, I just want to thank you. I think that your show is the most unbiased of all on relevant radio, so thanks for all you do. <laughs> well, you're wrong about that. I, I'm the Reverend Know-It-All, and what I say is absolute truth. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh, thank you. Kidding. I'm very complimented. <laughs> no, I'm right. And um, <laughs> I'm, friends with, um, I, I'm a longtime um, supporter of St. Lambert's. Um, actually, my oh. husband and I used to sing there back in the day when your music oh. first started. So we have a long history there. So, um, but now I'm music director in a northern suburb, and um, I like what you say on the, on the idea of music, but also I disagree because oh. you know I think of the early Christians coming together, and I think that they sang songs and they sang psalms, and they gathered as a community and sang sang what was from their hearts. And so I really think that even in today's math, I like to mix it up. I like uh, no, to have... Uh, okay, I'll, 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 I'll go along you, with you in that. Why do you think that? Where's your evidence for it? When, when the Christians came together, I think there's some strict scriptures that actually... Well, I know you think it, but why? what I'm interested in is why do you think it? Why do I think they, they came together and sang? Well, no, saying songs spontaneously. I mean, I think you've got a point. But uh, um, the the uh, um, uh, you know you you envision them doing this, but what are your sources for envisioning that? Well, I could have sworn that there were some scriptures that said that they did sing. Oh, of course they sang. Of course they sing, song, sing songs and psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another. Oh, yes, of course they did. But did they right, so do it? That at, was what they were doing back in the day. Who says? We well, they were doing do it, but the, did they do it at mass? What did they do at mass? And why did? How did they sing? And what I'm maintaining, because of of uh, what I think is reasonable scholarship, is that they continued to sing the songs they had been singing, which were the Psalms. They were Jews who had decided Jesus was the Messiah. And you look at Dr. Rodney Stark, who's a, a sociologist of, of religion, and he's done a lot of work on the early church. And he really makes the point that, you know, uh, I, I often say that 
that when people talk about the church as the new Israel, that's inaccurate. That phrase doesn't appear in the Bible. We're not the new Israel. We're Israel. We concede the Jews are Israel, too. Uh, and Dr. Stark, in his, in his book, The Rise of Christianity, really makes the point that, that genetically uh, and culturally, the vast majority of the very tiny Christian community were Jews. Uh, until until maybe 130 A.D., maybe 200 A.D., that there were 7 million Jews at the time of Christ uh, in the empire, and 200, 300 years later, there were, only, there were under a million Jews. Where did they all go? They all became Christians. They accepted Jesus as Messiah, blended into the Greek congregation, or blended into the Greek population. However, they didn't perceive Christianity as a new religion. They, they, it was the fulfillment and the continuation of who they were as Jews. So you got to look at what Israel did at the time of Christ. And then you look at the church fathers and you see, oh, they continued it. Uh, that, that, um, uh, I, I think that, 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 you know, and I'm not against hymns. I, I, I think people think I'm saying we shouldn't sing hymns. In a sense, I'm asking that we add something to the liturgy, that within the liturgy itself, Within the, the Eucharistic liturgy, we need to sing the Psalms. I think an entrance hymn and an exit hymn and a, a communion hymn, uh, after you've sung the communion verse, they're wonderful. However, uh, what I'm really against is I'm, I want to hear this song because I really like it. You know, that, that, that that's what I'm, I'm not happy with. I'm, I'm not pushing the, the old Mass or the new Mass. Uh, I, I, I think that we need to look at the Mass as as what it is it's a continuation of 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 the t temple sacrifice and and so let's not look what the christians did let's look at what israel did because that's what the first christians did if we want to bring it back but um also the the idea of of singability uh it just i, I was at a wedding last week or two weeks ago as i i shared in which the marriage part of the, the, the wedding was, was the Byzantine rite. And it was astonishing because all of these uh, Western Christians, all of these Roman rite Christians, Novus Ordo types, after two or three minutes, they're singing the Byzantine chants. The Byzantine chants were in English, and they're singing. You see, the chant is so singable, whereas when we sing hymns, we have a, uh, you know, when we're... we're we overdo the hymns, it's so easy to make it a performance. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to say hymns are bad. Uh, and there are other venues uh, uh, for, you know, we, we picture the agape meal that in that mass was in the context of a meal. It wasn't. I don't think so. You look at, at uh, Pliny, uh, Trajan's letter to Pliny, 110 AD, which talks about the early morning sacrament. And then it seems they came back together for a shared meal and what we would call a prayer meeting later. So there were at the very beginning of the church, there were different liturgical expressions. Mass wasn't the only one. Now for us, de facto, after the council, mass is the only one we've dumped. Have you noticed how you don't have 40 hours devotion anymore? You know, you have perpetual adoration, but nah, it isn't. It, there isn't a liturgy attached with it. You don't. You don't have benediction uh, as much as you used to, um, because it's you know that we we have only one trick in our bag, and that's the Holy Eucharist and you know the the Eucharistic celebration. So I that's kind of what I'm driving at is that we need to to make uh, we need to return to the riches of of the church 
and chant is eminently singable. Simple chant is eminently singable. So I don't know if that's, if that's, uh, you know, I love a good hymn and, uh, Lord knows I, I love some bad hymns too, but I just think that we need to, if we want to have a Eucharistic renewal, we have to take the narcissism out of it and what we like out of it and put back in what it was designed how the way it was designed so that's just my thoughts i don't know if that is a problem for you but that's what i'm thinking so um it's it's kind of tough for choir directors because an organist because it becomes so much an expression of of uh, you know and i think very legitimately is this something i want to give to the lord um but it, it can become an expression of my my artistic uh uh self so i don't know i i i hope that i i imagine i've offended a lot of people in this and i forgot to wish all the choir directors happy saint cecilia day yesterday but happy saint cecilia day one day late so well thanks for calling thanks for listening and thanks for being patient with me and remember i may be wrong so <laughs> there you go you may be right who we got now dear voice in my head joe from bristol pennsylvania what can i do for you Hi, Father. Uh, so just to be a bit of time, I've tried three days to get on. Uh, I want to discuss the use of, and then I, I am a music teacher, believe it or not. And, I, and for the oh. last part of it, I would like to, just to, uh, you know, add a little bit of input to, to the uh, music uh, side of it with the singing. But uh, sure. the use of cell phones, that was discussed on relevant radio, okay? And I, I had, uh, I did not have enough time to get in or there wasn't enough time. But I disagree with the use of the cell phone, even if it's for um, a useful purpose, such as uh, possibly the penitent needing it to read the um, um, the act of contrition, etc. Okay. No. And why uh, are you against it? Well, that's what I want to tell you why. Okay. First of all, on two okay. points, the one is not the one makes sense where you don't need a cell phone. I believe any priest can guide the penitent through the prayer. Without a cell phone, because we didn't have cell phones, you know, like 30 years ago or whatever, 25. On a more dangerous aspect, with our TVs today, with our cell phones, think about this with the left. Constantly trying to challenge the separation of church and state. Trying to challenge the, our Catholic faith on everything from abortion to every tenet of what we believe in, okay? What would happen if there was a crime committed and it's confessed and all, and Siri or something else and, or an app picked that up on the phone? And then later that phone was used, and, and I'm, I'm giving a hypothetical, but it could turn out to be true because, you know, we change laws today like as if we're changing brands of soda. You know, you is, have an absolutely what? valid point. Now, you're speaking about it in the confessional, referring in the confessional, right? Absolutely. And, 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 and what would happen then if the church now were finding itself in another liable suit on that issue and the priest and et cetera, et cetera? We've gone through well, a lot. You know, I, I, think, I, think, I think you got a point. I, I really do. I, I think that uh, uh, cell phones in the confessional probably should be turned off. Uh, the priests as well as the penitents. Uh, uh, that's a very good point you make, that, that, you know, when you put information into a cell phone, uh, it is public. And I, I assume you're talking about when a person uh, has the cell phone on so they can read the act of contrition, the different appropriate prayers, or people who will make the list of their sins uh, in the notepad. It, 
it is a public forum, and I think people don't understand this. I think you're right. Now, I, I, I don't have a problem with people following along the mass in a cell phone, especially old people like me who need a lot of light to see. Uh, I, I don't have a problem with that. I'll never forget it. A Latin mass, a, a person, we were having the old mass, and there was a hardliner who was, during the offertory, almost came close to assaulting a woman across the way who was new to the Tridentine Mass, and she's following it on her phone, and and she this other woman starts yelling at her. I actually, you don't do this at a Latin Mass. You had to, I, I came off the altar to calm the woman down. And she said, I said, why is it wrong for that she's following the Mass on her cell phone? And the woman shouted, because it's electronic. I thought, good grief. <laughs> Back to goose quill pens and carrier pigeons. But I think you're absolutely right about the public nature of, of electronic communications. And to bring them into the confessional, you're taking a risk. You're taking a risk for yourself and maybe for the wider church. So I agree with you on this. Thank you for bringing that up to people. God bless you. And, uh, you know, and I think people are well warned not to do that. So thanks for calling in. God bless. Who we got now, dear voice in my head? Eric from Green Bay, what can I do for you? Hi, Father. Thanks for taking my call. I have a quick question for you. Sure. And this is my question. Um, I was hoping you could reveal to me why the medication I received from the pharmacy for my bipolar disorder is good, because it does help me stay in a state of grace. I just got a little bit worried that it's kind of like a magical potion, which the Bible warns us about. So I was hoping yeah. you could tell me a little bit more about that and maybe just make me relax and help me take my medication. Sure. Well, we have an actual Bible verse for that, believe it or not. Uh, let me find it for you. Okay. Uh, let's see. Proverbs, the 31st. Um, uh, oh, no, no, that's not it. Hold on. Where is it? Oh, gosh. Is it Proverbs? No. Oh, dear. There's no destructive drug. I think it's in the Book of Wisdom. There is no destructive drug that God has made. Let me, I, I got to find this verse for you. That, In other words, our misuse of them is one thing. Um, um, let me see. Wisdom, 114. Wisdom. This is one of the so-called Catholic books, but we regard it as inspired by the Holy Spirit. He created everything so that it might continue to exist, and everything he created is wholesome and good. There is no deadly poison in them. No death does not rule the world um uh that 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 uh in other words that that god has made these things now if we misuse them then they are or use them for purposes that are not holy well, that's different but no and the scripture also says when you are sick do as your doctor tells you pay your vows to the lord so keep taking your 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 medicine it's a good thing it's a gift from God. Uh, speaking of gifts from God, Drew is coming up. So don't go anywhere.